Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. SRN News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This verse has the potential to change your life dramatically. If you grab hold of this, live it out, make it a part of you, this verse and the next verse have the potential to radically change the way you live. Why? Because it puts a finger on the reason so many of us live defeated, up and down spiritual lives. This is, this is the key. C.S. Lewis said, you do not have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. That's a good reminder for all of us because we have a real tendency to focus on our physical being and forget about our eternal and essential spiritual side. We'll be considering true spirituality for the next few weeks right here on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher, and he is about to launch us into a new series of lessons from the wonderful little book of Colossians. There are life-changing verses throughout the Bible. Some of them are right here in chapter 3 of Colossians. I hope you can follow in your Bible as we find out what spirituality is and what it is not. Here's Pastor Steve. In the leading and the providence of God, he has brought us to a place in our ongoing study of Colossians that deals with the resurrection. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, and I'd like to read to you verses 1 through 4. Had this not been the portion of scripture that we were coming to in Colossians Uh, We would have dealt with something specifically on the resurrection, but this does. It's already before us, and I take it from the Lord that this is his his leading. Colossians chapter 3 begins this way. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, I want you to see that that these four verses speak so much and connect so much with with resurrection truth. For example, in verse one, he speaks about being raised up with Christ. He speaks about the things above. Jesus Christ was raised, ascended, and uh, and then we think of the things above. It speaks of him being seated at the right hand of God, speaks of being revealed with him in glory as we return with him after our own resurrection. This is a resurrection message, but it's a different type of a resurrection message in the sense that normally when we think of the resurrection, we think of either one of two things. We think of a past event, Christ and his resurrection. Uh, 2,000 years ago, a past event, or we think of the future event of our own resurrection at the rapture of the church. But seldom do we ever think of of how resurrected truth connects with our lives today. What difference does it really make in terms of, of how we live today that Jesus Christ is risen? You see, too often we, we 
only view the resurrection from the perspective of a past uh, event that we that we believe doctrinally. And that's important to believe that because Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that if you believe in your heart that God has raised Christ from the dead, you shall be saved. That's important. And uh, not only do we believe that, but often we we simply look to the truth ahead of our own resurrection, as I said before. And that's important, too, because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks about the resurrection and rapture and says that we ought to be comforted with these truths. But the question I, I ask you today is, how does the resurrection of Christ affect the way you live today? Well, that's what we're going to find out, because Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, is about that, how resurrection truth affects us today. Now, I want you to keep in mind the context of Colossians. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae in order primarily to protect them from false teachers who had come in amongst them. And the heart of what these false teachers were saying is that Jesus Christ is not enough to deal with your sin issues. <clears throat> that Jesus Christ is not sufficient. He's not capable of helping you over the, the sin struggles that you have. And so they offered nonsensical solutions to, to the problems we face with, with sin. These people, the Colossians, had been, had been saved out of a pagan lifestyle, and they still, quite frankly, had troubles with that lifestyle. If you look at, at chapter 3, verse 5, you see this. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, why would Paul say that? Because they were struggling with this. Verses 8 and 9. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Positionally, they had laid that aside, but experientially, they were struggling with, with anger, with malice, with lying, with abusive speech. And so these false teachers came along and said, we recognize this. You're struggling with sin. So what you need is to embrace certain teaching that, that, we, uh, that we offer you. And we looked at this last week. We saw, first of all, they came along and, and they, they offered a solution, what we call legalism. Chapter 2 Verses 16 and 17. Therefore, Paul says, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, these people were coming along and saying, look, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to have victory over your sin, then you've got to go back to the law of Moses and, and, and you've got to uh, uh, eat a certain way and drink a certain way and follow certain days of the week and, and feasts and festivals. And so what they did is they imposed from the outside certain rules and rigid policies on these people and said, that'll make you spiritual. Paul said, no, it won't. No one. It's just, it's just like chasing a shadow without the substance. The substance is Christ. Secondly, they said, what you need is some subjective experience of which we call mysticism. Verse 18, chapter 2. Let no one, Paul says, keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. In other words, what they were doing is saying, you need to, to have a, what, what we've had. You've, we've had a vision of angels. We worship angels. God is too holy for us to approach him. We're just poor, lowly sinners. We'll go through angels. And they said, uh, we've come up with this stuff because we've had visions. 
And uh, Paul refutes that in verse 19. And he goes on to say, that'll never help you spiritually. Angels can't do anything for you spiritually. What you want is to grow. And you grow from, from nourishment from the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ. The body, meaning the church. Then these false teachers came along and said, not only legalism and mysticism, but what you need is asceticism. And asceticism, he explains in verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principle of the world, why is it that you are living in the world? Do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? What they said is, look, you enjoy these things. You have certain pleasures. You, 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 you like certain foods. You like getting married. You like physical things. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you really want to be spiritual, you have to deny the body its pleasures. And Paul went on to refute that. Now, those are the solutions that the false teachers were giving to the struggles with sin. And that's chapter two. Actually, in chapter one, what Paul did is he presents the sufficiency of Christ theologically. Jesus is head of the church. He's redeemer. He's the reconciler, all these things. In chapter two, he defends the sufficiency in Christ by refuting error and saying, you're complete in Jesus. Now, as he moves into chapters three and four, this letter becomes very practical. It's already been practical, but it gets much more practical because now his message is that Jesus Christ and his sufficiency can be experienced. You can experience it in your everyday life that Jesus will give victory over sin. And after all, that's where uh, those of us who know Christ are at. We struggle. We want to know, we know that our sins are forgiven, but how do I get victory over my attitude? How do I get victory over jealousy, over pride, over lust? How, how do I do that? How do I get along with my wife, my children, my employer, my employees? Well, that's what chapters three and four are about. He speaks about, uh, about victory over anger and abusive speech and all of these things. And that's, that's really what the rest of the epistle is. Jesus Christ is sufficient. You don't need man's nonsense. You don't need psychology. You don't need mysticism. You don't need the world's answers for victory over sin. You've got it in Christ. And that's what we want to see. That's what we're going to look at today. You see, what Paul is teaching is that Jesus Christ isn't merely a person you've come to believe in. And then you just tuck him away and say, theologically, I know he's the God man. I know he, he was born in Bethlehem. I know he died on the cross. I know he rose again. Paul says that's not what Christianity is. It isn't that you've come to intellectually simply to believe in this person. But he said, not only have you come to trust him as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins, but he is completely capable to enable you to live a godly life. You can have victory over terrible circumstances. You can have victory over terrible, difficult people. And we all have them. You can have victory over the pull of sin and temptation on your own heart. And so as Paul opens up chapters 3, verses 1 through 4, he gives some, what I want to say is profound statements, profound statements about true spirituality. Last week we looked at false spirituality. It isn't found in legalism, mysticism, asceticism. All of those things are external. It is found in true internal life. And so... Uh, what we're going to see is the pathway of holiness, and that's what we want to discover today. I'm calling this four keys to true spirituality. Or you could put it this way. If you want to label it a resurrection message, four keys to, to the living the risen life, living a resurrected new life in Christ. Let's begin to look at it. 
the first key to true spirituality, the first key that opens the door for you to have victory over sin is found in verse 1. It is the basis of true spirituality. What is the basis? What is the foundation of which everything else takes off? Verse 1 says, if then you have been raised up with Christ. If then you have been raised up with Christ. Let's stop there. Let's stop there and think about that. Paul says, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, what is he talking about? He begins his teaching by informing the Colossians of a great theological fact. You have been raised with Christ. The if is not an if of question. It is an if of certainty. It probably is better translated since. He, he is not saying you might have been raised with Christ. He is saying for certain you have been raised with Christ since you have been raised with Christ. Now, what's he talking about? What, what, what are you talking about, Paul? Raised with Christ. He's in heaven. I'm on earth. In fact, I'm so on earth that I'm dug into this mundane world and I don't feel like I'm living any kind of a raised life. He's not referring to our future resurrection after we die physically. That hasn't happened yet. But he is referring to something that happened in the past when we died to the old way of life. Notice chapter 2, verse 12. It's simply a commentary on that. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now listen to me. This is a baptism without water. This is a baptism without water. What he's talking about is the moment you repented of your sin, turned from your sin, and trusted Jesus Christ as your sin substitute, as the only way for forgiveness of sins, the moment you did that, God brought you into union with Jesus Christ, a spiritual union that you never felt. It isn't a subjective feeling. It is a fact. You were immersed or placed into to the, the Savior's death and his resurrection. I don't fully understand it, but that is clearly what the word of God teaches it. Therefore, whatever Jesus experienced, God says that's what you experienced too. Therefore, you died with Christ. The old sinful way of life is dead and it is buried if you've come to know Jesus Christ. If you haven't come to know him, then, then that's not the case. But if you've trusted him, that is the case. And therefore, you also rose up with him. You rose with Christ again. And because you are in union with him today, you have new life. You have been given a new divine nature. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 speaks about that, being saved from the corruption of this world because of a divine nature within us. See, Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion of codes and ethics, something you adhere to. It is a person you follow. And the reason you follow this person is because at salvation, God changed your heart. Not this physical organ that beats in here, but your inner man. God gave you a new nature. God did something new within you. You are a new creature in Christ. You have new life. The old way is over. And there's this new life, this resurrected life that is the basis for true spirituality. Not the externals. Not what you impose on someone, but what stems from within in obedience to the word of God. And this is, this is Paul's point in Galatians 2.20. Let me read this to you. Galatians 2.20. Paul said this. I have been crucified with Christ. 
it is no longer I who live. Well, then you're dead, Paul. But, he says, Christ lives in me. The old way is over. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered him up for me. Paul said, my old way of life is over. I have been crucified with Christ. I died, yet I live. But it's not me. It's new life in me, joined to my personality, but not the sinful old way. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. The apostle writes, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism, not water baptism, spirit baptism, in order unto death, he says, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him, watch this, united in union with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And he who has died is free from sin. He's simply saying you have a new way of life. You have a resurrected kind of life. That's, that's not just psychology. In fact, it's not psychology. That's not to make you feel good. It is a fact. Whether you appropriate that new life or not, you have it if you know Christ. You see, true spirituality is from the heart. It is a heart issue. You have a new kind of life, divine life. And, and therefore, you really can obey him. Before you've come to know Christ, you cannot obey God. You only do good things if you do them at all to make yourself look good. Not because you want to honor him. Not because you want to obey him. The motivation is all corrupt until you come to know Christ. You have a new way of, of living. Now, here's where it becomes real, real practical. We want to be honest. We don't want to walk in the clouds and, and miss a, a real uh, true point in our lives. There are plenty of believers who do not live different kinds of lives. They are haunted by the sins of the past. There are habits that they have a hard time breaking. There are struggles in which they fall to temptation and sin, and they don't particularly feel like they have much of a new life. And so I know that many of you are sitting there saying, yeah, new life. Tell me how to get along with my spouse. Tell me how to, how to get along at, at work with this boss who's so unreasonable. Tell me how to deal with this person in the church who bugs me and criticizes me for everything I do and I can't get along with them. You tell me how new life does that. You tell me how to do that. Well, I'm not going to tell you, but Paul is, because we move on from the basis of true spirituality, which is a resurrected, resurrected life within you, to the means of true spirituality. How do I live like this? It's a fact that I have new life in me, but how, what do I need to do to live out this new life, the means of true spirituality? Paul goes on in, in verse 1 to say, if then you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of, of God. This verse has the potential to change your life dramatically. If you grab hold of this, live it out, make it a part of you, this verse and the next verse have the potential to radically change the way you live. Why? Because it puts a finger on the reason so many of us live defeated, up and down spiritual lives. This is, this is the key. And the reason is we're just not seeking the things above. We're not seeking the things above. You see, true spirituality only has its basis in Christ's raised life within us. But we still have a responsibility. 
Some people think that, that their holiness is just let go and let God, and they don't think they have to do anything. That's not what this verse says. It's God's part to give us new life, but we have a responsibility. It's not to just let go and let God. God already did something. He's given us new life at the moment of our conversion. But we have a responsibility, and that responsibility is summed up in the words, keep seeking the things above. And what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we seek the physical things of heaven. It, do, it doesn't mean that, that uh, we're interested in golden streets and thrones and jewels. And uh, Paul's not calling us to think about the geography of heaven. It's not going to do anything for you. Okay, you understand? The things above are not, uh, not the geography of heaven. The things above are eternal realities. They are the values embedded in the heart of Jesus Christ. They are the values of heaven. They are the spiritual values that characterize Jesus Christ. What values? In context, what he's talking about, jump down to verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, these are the things above. Those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. That's the thing above. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You know what he's talking about? The things above are such things as compassion and kindness and love and forgiveness and letting the word dwell in you and gratitude. These are the virtues of heaven. It's basically the same thing that Jesus taught in Matthew 6, verse 33, when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that you need is going to be given to you. It's the pursuit of holiness. It's the virtues of Christ. These are the realities that govern heaven. That's what he's talking about. Those are the things that are above, the realities that you ought to be seeking in your life. See, this is the kind of heavenly resurrected life God wants us to live while we're on earth. Not wait till we get to heaven, but now to make a choice. And you can. Be, why can you do this? Because you have been raised with Christ. You have the life within you to do that. There's a newness of life in you, but it's up to you to seek heavenly values. And that's why Paul says, keep seeking. Notice that in verse 1. Keep seeking. In the Greek, it's very, it's very clear. It's an ongoing seeking. It takes effort. It takes the pursuit and perseverance. It doesn't happen automatically. It isn't that you just get converted and all of a sudden your mind's going to be thinking about heavenly virtues. It means that it is the goal and driving force of your life to obtain the spiritual values of Christ-likeness. This is what you strive for. This is what you live for. This is your ambition to be like Jesus Christ. It means that you don't give up because you've had some spiritual setbacks in your life. It is the pursuit of holiness, ongoing. It is your goal. Would you like to live a life of fulfillment? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God will satisfy our hunger and thirst for a right relationship with Him. I'm Jerry Pruden, and I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher, 
and we have just launched into a new series of lessons about true spirituality. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 28 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you'd like to listen again to today's class, stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You'll also find hundreds of previous lessons stored in the archives, as well as other helpful information. That's versebyverseradio.org. To order a cassette or CD with the entire message Pastor Steve began today, call us at 727-239-0306. Madam Chiang Kai-shek once told the story about a young Buddhist monk 2,000 years ago who sat outside his temple, hands clasped in prayer. He piously chanted Buddha's name all day, believing that, by doing so, he was growing spiritually. After a few weeks, the head priest sat beside him and began rubbing a brick on a stone. This went on week after week until the young monk could no longer contain his curiosity. Father, what are you doing? he asked. I'm trying to make a mirror, said the priest. But that's impossible, said the monk. You can't make a mirror out of a brick. True, said the priest. But it's no more impossible for me to turn this brick into a mirror than it is for you to grow in grace by sitting here chanting day after day. Join us for the next verse by verse, and we'll see what the Bible has to say about achieving true spirituality. Deepening your faith. Sincerity is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. So may I ask you today, have you decided to trust Jesus as your Savior? These were hours of decision, and this is an hour of decision for you today. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN.